My name is Tom Hallman. I've been serving with Disciple Makers for over 20 years now, and uh, that's, that's about half my life, slightly less than half my life. Um, today with me is Matt Geiger, who has also been with Disciple Makers uh, even longer than I have, and um, both Matt and I were greatly impacted by the ministry of Disciple Makers as students, but neither of us joined Disciple Makers right out of college. And instead, we both had to wrestle through the question of what to do with the rest of our lives, and we are excited to share with you guys today some of what we've learned. Uh, but first, uh, let, me, let me get a couple of questions here to see what the makeup of the room is. Uh, we still do have a seat right up front for anybody bold enough to come. Uh, how many of you here, by show of hands, are seniors? Oh, wow. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, now, uh, so hands down, and then if you're a senior and you don't yet have a job lined up, put your hand back up. No shame. Okay, there's no shame, no condemnation here. All right, I'm really glad you guys are here. Um, okay, how many of you guys are freshmen? All right, we got the overachievers in the room. Uh, that's great. Uh, do any of you guys have jobs lined up? Okay, uh, I just wasn't sure. That'd be exciting. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. All of you have spent something like 12 to 16 years of your lives now preparing for what is just around the corner, the start of your career. And the implicit and likely explicit promise that's been made to you over all these years is that you're taking all these classes and reading all these books and passing all these tests so that you'd be able to get a great uh, grade and get a great career and advance in that career and then something, right? Like, at the very least, you want to make money to provide for your family, to get a nice house, to live relatively comfortably, to retire early, or some variation on those themes. Uh, Maybe what you really want to do is help other people. So you, you want to become a nurse who eases pain. You want to become an attorney who brings justice. You want to be an engineer who builds better roads or smartphones, or rockets, or whatever. Or you want to become a teacher so that you can help others to do those same kinds of things. Now, some of you here are Christians, and and so you might add to that list and say that you want to see your career used for God's purposes. So maybe the money you make will be used to uh, support and plant churches and support missions, Maybe you'll use your home for hospitality and Bible study and other ministry purposes. Maybe the the roads you build will help get food to impoverished areas, and that's really exciting to you. And that's all great. I'm not here this morning, Matt's not here this morning, to critique any of those purposes for your career. However, for the next few minutes... I have one very simple yet vitally important point to make, and it's this. It's not your career. It's not your career. See, when something is yours, you can do with it whatever you want. So maybe some of you have a car. It's not your parents' car. It's not your friend's car. And it's fully paid off, so it's not the bank's car. Uh, maybe it's partially the mechanic's car, but it's mostly yours, okay? It's your car. And so you're free to keep that thing looking spick and span and and vacuumed and clean and in tip-top shape 
or not. You're, you're free to paint it or get vanity plates or put a spoiler on it or not. You, if it's yours, that's your decision. But when something is not yours and you're only borrowing it or renting it or leasing it and someday you're going to have to return it and give an account for it, then that changes everything, doesn't it? You can't do whatever you want with it. And in fact, the owner of that car or whatever it is that, that you have here, like the, the owner may give you explicit instructions on what you are to do and not do with it. And so there's not only stuff that you can't do, there's probably stuff you must do. So in our car analogy, let's say it's your parents' car and they give you the instructions, take our car and pick up your brother from work. Okay, if you come home with a new spoiler and an empty tank of gas and no brother, how are your parents going to feel about that? You know, it's not going to go well for you. They're, they're not going to entrust you with that car in the future. They're probably not going to entrust you with much in the future in that case. And yet for many of you, you've been told and so you have believed that the past 12 to 16 years have all been preparation for your career, as though it was yours. And so, friends, please hear this truth. It's not your career. It's, it's not even your life. Like, rather, all of this, your, your life, your career, your talents, your giftings, your desires, your relationships, your money, every single breath you breathe, it all belongs to God. And he has given you instructions for what he expects you to do with what is his. And so I'm going to briefly make three points here to answer the question, what does God think of your career? And the three points here, you can see them on your outline. Your career is altogether mine. That's God's, not Tom's. Your career is gloriously purposeful. And your career is uniquely yours. And then for the rest of the time, I'm going to have Matt share a bunch of marvelous things. So let's start with It's Altogether Mine. If you take a look in your packet on the opposite page there on page 26, you'll see Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been crucified. He died and he was buried, but he rose again from the dead. That doesn't happen every day. And he's now appearing to his 11 remaining disciples. And this is what Jesus said to them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wow. Like, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. What a statement. All authority, all of it is his. Who can say that? I mean, indeed, many have. Many people have claimed to be the goat, the greatest of all time, right? They they can make that claim. Mighty men across the ages have claimed to have supreme authority. From Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar to North Korean presidents, they will make that claim. But guess what? They didn't rise from the dead. Jesus did. And if you rise from the dead, then you get to have all authority, okay? Like, but you didn't. (laughs) Jesus did. 
And, and with all the infinite authority of both heaven and earth, what does Jesus command? It's right there in the text. Go and make disciples of all nations. So that, my friends, is your application. That is the point of your career. This is the equivalent of Jesus handing you the keys and saying, this car is mine, it will never run out of gas, it's virtually indestructible, and I'm going to be with you in it for the rest of your life. So here are my instructions. Here's your directions. For you, go make disciples of all nations. It's clear as can be. All authority belongs to Jesus, so all nations belong to Jesus, and we are called to make disciples among every people group on planet Earth, every tribe and tongue and people and language, from your neighbors back home to the most remote places on the planet, from people crowding around you in your church on Sunday to people who will be born, live, and die without ever once meeting someone who knows the name of Jesus. You personally won't be able to reach every one of them. But God has given you a career so that together we will. So that's the first point. Jesus says that your career is his and you are to go and make disciples of all nations. Here's the second point. It's gloriously purposeful. Any Marvel fans in the room with me this morning? All right. All right, that's great. Because I know Marvel fans can't hear the term glorious purpose without geeking out a little, okay? So for you uninitiated, you poor souls, uh, in the Marvel universe, one of the most interesting and dynamic characters is named Loki. He's Thor's adopted brother. He's the god of mischief, okay? And true to his name, he's constantly deceiving people and executing complex schemes and generally creating mayhem that the heroes have to overcome. And one of Loki's signature lines is that he is burdened with glorious purpose. He wholeheartedly believes that his life and his actions have tremendous meaning. And that drives him in all his deceit and scheming and mayhem. But what makes Loki so so really remarkable is that as he shows up in movie after movie and eventually in his own show, you see Loki comes to understand that truly glorious purpose is not found in self-serving mischief, but, but in giving his life for something greater than himself. And as he learns this lesson, often painfully, a subtle shift takes place. Instead of Loki being the villain, he slowly becomes a hero. I think, friends, that Loki is such a popular character among us Marvel geeks because that transformation deeply resonates within us. Take a look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That's on the opposite page again, page 26. And listen to the story that culminates in the glorious purpose of our own transformed lives. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And listen, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friends, this is what Christians call the gospel. It's the inexpressibly good news that although we were alone in our sorrows and dead in our sins, God's mercy and love made us alive together with his son, Jesus Christ, such that now all who trust in him are sons and daughters of the most high God by his free grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you can do. Jesus has already done it all for you. And perhaps some of you here this morning have never heard that before, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times and this morning, maybe through what Dave shared or just this reading from Ephesians 2, maybe it just finally clicked. And if that's you, what you've just experienced is God himself opening your eyes to salvation and you have just been brought from death to life. That's huge. But whether that's a brand new reality or if you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior for many years now, this passage from Ephesians 2 makes it crystal clear. Jesus didn't simply rescue you and leave you to meander aimlessly for the rest of your life. No, my friends, Jesus has not only given you life and grace and heavenly inheritance, but he has given you glorious purpose. Look at verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're to do good in this world. We're to do good in this world in Christ Jesus, for Christ, through Christ. He's the motivation. He's the fuel. He's the purpose. And this wasn't an afterthought of the gospel, friends. This wasn't, this wasn't something God kind of just you know, threw on at the end, like, oh yeah, I guess I should do that. It was all planned out. Verse 10 says that God prepared all of it beforehand. That means that even before you were born and even before this planet began to spin, God had a glorious purpose for you. So here's your application. Do good works in Christ Jesus. Do good works in Christ Jesus. That's your glorious purpose. That's what your career is for. Now, how does that compare with what you've been told that your career is for? Our culture and many of your professors and perhaps even your family may tell you that your purpose is to have the most fun or to make the most money, or to get the most impressive title, or to prove that you're the best there is. My friends, please hear me. Those things won't satisfy. Those things won't satisfy. But don't take it from me. Listen to these quotes. Hollywood actor Jim Carrey, you guys probably know him, he has said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And John D. Rockefeller, the first ever billionaire in the United States, 
And once the richest man on earth was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? His reply, just a little bit more. It never satisfied. My friends, your purpose is not to get rich or famous. If that's what you're living for, everything you do for the rest of your life is just going to come and go and be utterly forgotten. A hundred years from now, none of it will matter. All you spend the rest of your life doing from today through the rest of your life to the day you die will be nothing more than a tragic waste of time. But friends, God's intention for your career is so much more glorious than that. Your glorious purpose, which will echo through all eternity, is to do good works in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's summarize. We've already seen that your career, indeed your very life, belongs to God. And we've seen that your career has a glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. And now, in the context of those two truths, here's the third one. Your career is uniquely yours. And this isn't isn't a contradiction to the first point, that it's God's, okay? But rather, once you realize that your career belongs to God and that you're driving his car with his purposes in mind, then you actually have a whole lot of freedom to discover exactly how God has made you and that, that... Proverbial car can take you to any number of remarkable places. So to to show you this, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. It's there in your packet. And and as I read it, if you have a pen or a pencil with you, I encourage you to underline every occurrence of the word varieties and the phrases to each, to one, and to uh, to another. I'll, I'll help you as we go. Okay, ready? Here we go. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, you guys are with me so far, right? To another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. My friends, it's plain to see that this text goes to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate that there is a lot of diversity among God's people. There's wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and miracles and discernment and prophecy and tongues, and implicitly, those aren't the only gifts. In fact, there are other lists like this in various places in Scripture, and they're never the same list. And that's on purpose, because the goal of these lists isn't to limit us to what's in the list. It's to get us thinking about all the incredible diversity that God has created, and that just because the person to your left or right right now might do this or that, you can do something different. And that's really cool. That's really fun. So I encourage you, when you read a text like this, not to get hung up on, like, what exactly does faith mean here? Or is prophecy still happening and such? Those aren't bad questions, but that's not the point here. The point 
is to suggest that you and you and you all have different gifts. God has given you different gifts than he's given you, and that is so exciting. It's all to serve Christ, but you and you and you and you can all serve Christ in different ways. It's going to look different than how I serve Christ. Matt Geiger and Clint Watkins and Dave Royce and Tom Hallman all have very different gifts, but boy, do we love working together. That's the creativity of our God. And we're told why this is in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or to say it another way, for your application, use your unique gifts to benefit others. Use your unique gifts to benefit others. Our God, in his sovereign wisdom and love and goodness, created every one of you to be absolutely unique and wonderful and valuable, both for who you are and for what you do for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of his people. Do you see, friends? Your career is not about you. And your giftings are not about you. Whether God has made you excel at teaching or mechanical engineering or neuroscience or graphic design or philosophy or counseling or whatever else you know how to do and want to do, every single one of those giftings is there so that you can benefit others. So that's what God thinks of your career, friends. It's altogether his, and he has called you to make disciples. It's gloriously purposeful, and he has called you to do good works. And it's uniquely yours, and he has called you to use your unique gifts to benefit others. But here's something really fun that some of you have probably already noticed. These are not three different applications. They're really all the same idea. Because no matter where you start in those applications, it will lead you to the other ones. So you want to use your unique gifts to benefit others? Then you're going to do good works by making disciples. Do you you want to make disciples? Well, then you'll do so by using your unique gifts in doing good works. And so on. You can't get out of it. Our God is infinitely creative, and he has made you an expression of that. And so we all get to work together to accomplish this incredible thing. So, friends, what will you do with the rest of your life? What will you do with the rest of your life that he has entrusted to you for this very short time. I'd like to invite Matt to come on over because so far I've covered some principles, but Matt is going to share with you now some portraits of what this can look like and then some practicals for what you can do with it. Thank you, Tom. I don't know about you, but every time I hear Tom speak, I'm stirred. God's spirit is at work in him. It's a unique gift that he has. I feel a little intimidated coming up afterwards. But I'm also excited because he's pumped you all up and thinking, what do I do with the rest of my life? And and you've been challenged that your life, your career is not your own. It belongs to Jesus. And it reminds me of somebody that kind of was the way that they expressed that car that they were given to them in a poem, and it simply says, um, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This was penned by C.T. Studd, and he was one that lived knowing his career was not his own, but it had a glorious purpose, and it was unique to him. Now, under your second heading there, it says what to do with the rest of your life. I've got to be honest with you. I have no clue what each of you are supposed to do. And we could outline a lot of things. What we're going to do here is give you five portraits, five snapshots of men and women that have, have wrestled or are wrestling with that very question and are taking in thoughts about how is it completely God's, not mine, how is it for a glorious purpose, and what is my unique role in it? So over the next few minutes, we're going to look at five different people. But remember, each one of these stories is unique to them. It's not going to replicate you, but it might stir you in helping you think through what can you do. And I'll give you a little application from these stories as we do this. Um, I missed it. So we're going to jump on to... To start off here with the author of that story, Only One Life, or that poem, similar to you, C.T. Studd went to college looking to build his career. But the biggest difference is not that he attended college in England, nor that it was 140 years ago when he attended. The biggest difference between C.T. Studd, not that he has a cool last name, and you, is that he was the GOAT the greatest of all time of a cricket player in England. He, if, if cricket had a Heisman Trophy, he would have won it every year that he was there. He was that good. He had everything going from, for him from the world's perspective. But he heard the need of countless people around the world with no one there to share the good news of Jesus with them. He heard the call from God's word, go and make disciples of all nations. And know what he did? He gave it all up. The riches of his family, he was very wealthy, and the fame of his sports career. He left it, and he went to China and India and spent the last 20-plus years of his life in Africa. Why? Why would he leave it all? We get a little glimpse of his reasoning in another one of his quotes. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. God used his sacrifice to cut countless lives. His vision to take the gospel to those that have never um, heard it is still being fulfilled through the mission that he started. C.T. was one that knew his giftings, his career, his life did not belong to him. He knew it was given to him for a glorious purpose, and he lived it out. So what can we learn? What can you apply from C.T.'s life? Don't waste your potential on yourself. Don't waste your potential on yourself. Are you willing to give the skills and giftings God gave you for his glorious purpose? Born 40 years after Stud, I want to introduce you to Gladys Allward. She is my hero of faith, um, but she could not be more different than, than Stud. Stud was an exceptional in almost everything he did. Gladys flunked out of Bible school. But like Stud, when Gladys heard the desperate need of the countless millions of people, particularly in China, that have never heard the good news, she was stirred and knew that she had it that she had to go. She knew she wanted to use her unique desire to, for God's glorious purpose in China. The problem was that no one else thought Gladys was capable or qualified to this task. But Gladys lived knowing that she only had one life to live for Christ. So she enrolled in Bible school in preparation to go, but it wasn't long into her studies when she was called into the office and asked to leave 
because she wasn't able to keep up with the rest of the students. She was told that the mission had found that they needed quick-minded people to learn the difficult languages of China and spread the gospel there. She was dejected, but she was undeterred. And so she prayed, asked God to work, and labored to go there on her own. Time passed, and she saved enough money for a one-way train passage from England to Yangqing, China. And she got there only to find that she really wasn't wanted and how incredibly difficult the work was there. But she knew she only had one life to live for Christ. So she persevered in the midst of extreme difficulties. She learned the language of the people, and because of that, she was given a job as a foot inspector. It's an interesting job. Don't have time to talk about it now. But what it allowed her to do was to travel along the whole providence of Yangqing. And every house she went into, every village she went into, she shared the good news of Jesus and saw many, many Chinese people come to know the Lord because of what she did there. As the Japanese attacked, this was at the time of World War II, and they overtook that providence. She had one last meal with the Mandarin, that is the governor, the, the supreme person of the area where she lived in, who she got to know. She had one last meal with him, and she looked, he looked to her and said, because of you, I want to become a Christian like you. This weak-minded, simple girl gave her one life for Christ, and God used it. Why? I love her very own words. She says it here. She says, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. I don't know who was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he was not willing And God looked down and saw Gladys Allward, and God said, well, she's willing. (laughs) So the application from Gladys' life, if you are willing, God will use you. If you are willing, God will use you. Are you willing to let God use you despite your giftings? We're going to fast forward to the 1990s, where I want to introduce you to one of my best friends, Bob Kuligowski. Bob Kuligowski is a bona fide genius. He entered Penn State at 17 and finished in three years. He majored in meteorology. His dream was to be a meteorologist. After he graduated, that dream became a reality. Let me just read the bio from Noah's website about Bob. It's going to be up there. I'm not saying that you can read it. but you. Follow, Following three years as an operational weather forecaster at AccuWeather, he returned to Penn State for graduate work, receiving an NMS in meteorology in 1996. To enhance his background in hydrology, he then switched to the Department of Civil, Engin- Civil and Environmental Engineering at Penn State for his PhD, which was completed in 2000. His primary research interest is in estimating and predicting precipitation as evidenced by his master's work on using artificial neural networks to predict short-term precipitation from recent observations in his PhD work on assimilating satellite-based sound estimates into MEO-scale numerical weather prediction model to improve fine-scale precipitation forecasts. I have no idea what that all means. He is a bona fide genius. But basically, he has access to all of the United States weather satellites, and he uses their data to help predict rainfall amounts in the areas where There are no radar. He is the world's expert in this field. But God. But God, during Bob's freshman year at Penn State, interrupted interrupted his life. Bob was invited into a Bible study where he heard the gospel, and he became a follower of Christ. Um, Bob's interrupted life didn't change his dream to become a meteorologist, though, but it was no longer his career. 
It was God. God had gifted Bob and his ability to do much good in the world through his gifting in meteorology. But Bob's interrupted life didn't change him being a meteorologist, but it did change how he lived as a meteorologist. See, he knows the power of God's word to open the eyes, turning people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they would receive the forgiveness of sin. So from his first year out of college to grad school to his years with Noah now, Bob faithfully finds and gathers coworkers and friends to look at God's word together to introduce him to the hope that he found. And let me tell you, Bob is very unique. Most geniuses are. And he has used the uniqueness of Bob that God gave him to live a glorious purpose, knowing that it all belongs to God. So what application can we get from Bob? Be willing to let God interrupt your life. Be willing to let God interrupt your life. Are you willing to live an interruptible life so others can hear the word of God? But lest you think this is just people that are much older, I have two stories as we end these stories here of those that aren't much further along in this journey than you are. I'd like to introduce you to Katie Main Tung. Um, she graduated from Shippensburg in 2019, um, and she entered college as a follower of Jesus. But probably like many of you, she wasn't sure what it looked like to live like all she had was God's while still being uniquely Katie. And like many of you, God used a fellowship to grow Katie in her walk and understanding of Jesus. And as she grew in Jesus, she knew she wanted to surrender her desires and her dreams to Jesus, probably like what some of you are wrestling with here. But what did that mean? What does it look like? So Katie sought the counsel of some godly women around her, um, and they asked her questions. They suggested she try opportunities, use a summer to see God's direction in her life. And so Katie applied and ended up doing the Disciple Makers internship back in 2017. She's there on the far right as you look at it. And it placed a deep passion in her to focus her life on helping ladies to grow in Jesus. She wasn't sure how or where that would play out, but she knew her current major wasn't setting her up as much as she thought. So Katie switched from biology, health science to psychology, knowing she wanted to focus on souls and not just biology. She went back to ship after the internship with an increasing desire to serve Jesus, but not knowing where it would take her. And when I asked her to consider going on a one-week trip to Myanmar, which is in Southeast Asia, she eagerly came, looking to see what God would teach her there. And what she learned literally changed her life. She saw the need for the gospel in a country with few Christians. She saw how the Christian ladies there needed someone to disciple them. And she saw how her passion to disciple young ladies and the need was a match. So Katie then ended up going back one year to serve those ladies there. Oh, there she was the first time she went. Then she went back to serve those ladies there and see if um, God might be planting her there as a missionary. And she'll be the first to tell you that it was much harder than she expected, but it is also far more rewarding than she could have ever hoped for. And God did something else very surprising while she was there. She fell in love with a godly man named Timothy. COVID cut her time short like it did for many of us in various. And so, so she left early, but she was able actually to get Timothy out on the last flight before the lockdown in that country. And since then, Myanmar has hit some really, really tough times, not just because of COVID, but there's been a mass coup in that country. And, and it has been really hard on both Timothy and Katie seeing the struggles from afar. In the midst of their heartache, 
They have for Myanmar. God had brought joy to them. Uh, my family and I weren't not substitute, but we were honored to stand in the close, as some of the closest family Timothy had for their wedding a couple years ago. And I share this one because there's still a lot of unknowns in front of them. Um, when will they be able to go back? What would it look like? It has been not an easy journey for them, but they see God at work as they seek to make their lives about him. Katie and Timothy, do you guys mind standing up for a moment? So they joined us here. Um, Thank you for being an example of knowing that your life is not your own. I would highly encourage you guys to talk to them at some point throughout the weekend if you want. Um, Even in the midst of unknown what to do with their life, they live a glorious purpose, knowing it's not their own. So what can we learn from Katie and Timothy? God never messes up your life without a purpose. It might not go the way you want, but God never messes up your life without a purpose. I'd encourage you to talk about that with Katie and Timothy if you get a chance. Lastly, I'd like to introduce you to Jonathan. I met Jonathan during his junior year at Penn State. There was a desire in him to get to know God and live for Jesus, but the typical aspirations of American college students, probably many of you, were very real. And the desires of his parents were loud in his head. It's amazing how much our parents can influence But he was soft to Jesus. He knew the life of someone who had been saved by Jesus should look different. We did a Bible study together, Jonathan and I, and we talked about how he is not his own, that he belongs to Jesus. And that means the choices of why you take a job and where you take a job should look very different, as I spoke with him, because his job, his career was not his own. But God had a glorious purpose and uniquely made Jonathan. During Jonathan's senior year, he participated in an online cross-conference. I don't know if that's what we were watching there or not, but that was a picture I had of him. Cross-conference, cross-conference's purpose is to call this generation, that is you, each of you sitting here, to make their lives count by making Jesus' name known. It impacted Jonathan very deeply. But honestly, I I was a little sad at the choice Jonathan made upon graduation. He he took a job with Amazon, and and it seemed like the perfect job for someone who wants to make a lot of money and climb the corporate ladder. I just recently talked to Jonathan, and he summed up my sadness about him taking that job when he said, Amazon was a great opportunity, but it owned me. I was their slave. That was seven years ago, and he realized the direction he was going was about him and not God. And he said, God is patient with us through our shortcomings, and God can use us in our shortcomings. He has since changed jobs, jobs that aren't about him, but jobs that allow him to serve God. And he got plugged into a great church with men that disciple him and help him process choices he's making. And literally, I just got a text last night as he returned from a trip to India that he led. Um, He sent a letter describing the trip. Wow, these past few years have been quite interesting. God has truly blessed us and remains faithful through it all. By the grace of God, I have been given the opportunity to help lead a mission trip to South Asia this fall, with this being one of the first mission trips organized and led strictly by members. I'm beyond honored and blessed to know the church trusts me with this task. The ironic part, Jonathan told me, was that Pastor David Platt impacted him from the cross-conference, and now he's the pastor of Jonathan's church and was praying for him when he was on this trip. And as I talked with Jonathan, he wrestled a lot with what it looks like to live with his career fully surrendered to God. 
For Jonathan, he told me that a full-time ministry likely is not for him doing that. He loves working in the business world, and he loves serving God, and he's eager to see how God will use his career and his passion to make Jesus known. So what can we learn? What can we apply from the story of Jonathan? Use your one life to make Christ's name known. Use your one life to make Christ's name known. As you look to your career aspirations, it will belong, will it belong to God or will, it, will you be its slave? Will it belong to God or will you be its slave? Every story is unique. Yours will not look like these, I can guarantee it. But just like your career is uniquely yours, the journey God will take you on is uniquely yours. I'm going to give you just a few options as we wrap up here of things to think about, some very practical next steps that you could take as you're wrestling through what we've just shared with you. But before I do that, I want to encourage you to pray. I'm going to, this might be a little awkward. I'm going to take 30 seconds, and I want you, as you're being stirred by what Tom shared in these stories here, asking God to do what only he can do with your life. And you might not be sure what to pray, so we'll put up a little prayer here if you're just not sure, you can just even pray this little thing here. I'll take 30 seconds, I'll close this out, and then we'll finish with our last point. Father, you know the uniqueness of every person here and the story that you have for them. Help them to trust you that their life, their career is not their own, but you are a good, good father that will guide them and be with them every step of the way. Would you help them to rest in your goodness? Amen. So as we close here... um, You've heard me say, or maybe I've mentioned this, God opened doors or God closes doors. You've probably heard that many times. As we end our time uh, with these practical steps, I want you to first imagine the process that you are in a room with a bunch of doors. This room is the transition of your next stage of life. You eagerly desire to serve God, and the doors are still valid options for where you could do that. Um, And so as you're sitting there, my encouragement to you is don't just stand there in the room waiting for a door to be opened of where to go. Rather... Your role in seeking and following God's leading is to start pushing on as many doors as possible. And as you push on doors, you read God's word, you seek wisdom and you pray from other people and you pray asking God what to do. And as you push on doors, sometimes ones fly open and God makes it really clear. Other times he finds that they're locked. Many times God will open up multiple doors and he really just wants you to make a, a choice in this and follow him in faith. The point Surrendering your career to God doesn't mean you aren't actively involved in choosing where to go. It means you eagerly seek where God wants you. You try multiple options, all while weighing those options against God's word, talking to him through prayer, and seeking counsel from godly people around you. So let's talk about this summer, of how you could use this summer as a potential way to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. The gift you have of summers as a college student, you will never have again. You have an opportunity to push on doors and see how God has uniquely made you for his glorious purpose. Summers are an opportunity to help find the career God has for you that lines up with his mission. 
I think the ultimate goal in being purposeful with summers can be summarized by a quote by Pastor J.D. Greer, where he says, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. You have an opportunity to learn how God made you, to learn what you are good at, and to learn about where he needs his people to push his mission forward. Your career is not your own, but it is uniquely given to you for God's glorious purpose. Therefore, as you make choices for your summer, don't think about building your career, but think about how can you explore your interests, grow your skills for the glory of God and the mission of God. Your schools and even your parents encourage you to get an internship in your field. And, And honestly, I agree, but I do it for different reasons. It isn't to build your resume so you can make the best career for yourself. But it helps you to learn how God has uniquely made you and gifted you, what energizes you and what doesn't. So push on doors that would help you learn your unique skills and build them. But also push on doors that would allow you to learn the strategic places for God's mission. What does it mean to be a strategic for God's mission? We are privileged and often don't know it. The fact that you have a fellowship on your campus, that you have a church that you can go to, the fact that you're at a conference like this now, this is an opportunity that many, many, many in the world do not have. There are around 3 billion people in the world that are born, live, and die without bumping into someone that could share the good news of Jesus. Tom mentioned this already. Someone that could just bump into them to tell not even telling them, let alone find a church, a campus ministry, or go to a conference like this. Those people are called unreached people. So where is it strategic to go for God's mission? Where there are few, if any, believers. And how do you know where those are? How how do you get there? And that's where your summer plays a huge role. There are many organizations that want to help you see what is strategic for God's mission and how your giftings can you can uniquely help. This afternoon, Tom already mentioned this this morning, we have our summer missions connections. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details. It'll be 2 to 345. There'll be six different organizations ready to talk to you about how you could spend a summer seeing how your unique gifting skills, your major, your interests and passions could be used for the glorious purpose of God's mission in a strategic way for God's mission. Just these six organizations could connect you with almost every major that's here, and put you almost anywhere in the world, from right here in Pennsylvania to the farthest reaches of Asia. You can learn more, and if you want to prep a little bit, you can scan that QR code. That'll take you to a site that will tell you a little bit more about these organizations and even um, what summer opportunities that they give you. But what I really love about the organizations here is they're not simply here trying to recruit the best people to themselves. They, too, are working for God's glorious mission. They are people that are well-connected, so if they don't have a spot for you, they can likely point you to a position that could connect with your specific uniqueness. And I'll be down there as well. I know dozens of organizations um, that I would work hard if you're being stirred. I want to take this step to figure out what my life might look like by taking a summer. I'd be happy to connect you up with that. Come talk to me during that summer missions connections. But before I wrap up, allow me to talk specifically to those that are planning a traditional internship um, and seniors that will be graduating. So if you're here and you already have, I know what I'm doing this summer, I have my internship set up, I just want to remind you, the internship is not yours. 
It's a glory, it has a glorious purpose, and it's been uniquely given to you, but it's not yours. So two suggestions I have for you, wherever that internship might take you, make a plan of how you will grow in the Lord. Talk to your staff worker, talk to people that you respect. Make a plan of how you will grow during that internship for the Lord. Secondly, make a plan of how you can be on mission during that internship. Think through what does it look like for me to live out the mission of God. And for the seniors that are sitting here, um, I have two thoughts for you. And it looked like for most of the hands that are raised, most of you aren't sure of the next step, or at least don't have a job lined up for you. Um, I, I would encourage you, go for the Summer Missions Connection to help give you direction. You might find an option that you can try out just for this summer and be, and be able to learn a little bit more before you start jumping into a job. Um, and, and even if you do, and you're pretty certain what your next step is, I would encourage you, instead of taking like a senior trip as often as done, that's all about you, take a summer mission trip that's all about God and his glorious purpose and a strategic place for his mission. Whatever you end up doing this summer, remember, just as your career is not your own, your summers are not your own. As you continue to pray that God would help you to lay down your career, pray that you would lay down your summer plans and let God direct you. Whatever you do this summer, whatever you do with the rest of your life, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Let me pray, and then you guys can be dismissed. Father, we thank you that you have bought us. Though we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to the glorious Most High God, the God that loves us, sees us in our struggles, sees us in our glory, and just wants to embrace us as a great, good Father. I pray for each person here that as they are wrestling and thinking about um, what to do with the rest of their life, that you would help them in taking that next step and that they would do it um, knowing that they are, don't belong, it doesn't belong to them, that you have uniquely gifted them, um, and that they do have a glorious purpose for your grand mission. So go before each person here. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.